we're going to fulfill the need one way or the other. And if we don't, we're broken. You would be broken too, but you've never had that kind of threat. And that's the indignity of racism. The indignity of racism is, is that it attacks you at the core of your being. It's not just the practices. It's not just having white and colored bathrooms and, 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 um, and, and water fountains. It is the attack on your dignity. It's dehumanization. It's dehumanization. That's that's why I I I know I sound like a broken record every time I bring it up, but that's that's the basis. It's a so it's a social construct that has been successfully employed for centuries. Welcome to Peter and Phil's Courageous Conversations, a podcast addressing race relations and social issues in hopes that you'll be inspired to do the same. Now, let's begin our conversation with your hosts, Dr. Peter Weinstein and Dr. Philip Nelson. Welcome back. This week's episode is the continuation of the last. Please enjoy and share. I have a question. Uh, let's just put immunology, virology, and religion into the same level. I got a D in them. <laughs> Is there any scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, Quran, etc., that allows those people who believe in that scripture to really enslave others in the same way that American people as a people enslaved black 400 years ago or however long we've been dealing with slavery i mean is there any religious scripture that supports slavery as an acceptable um way of going about life so that's a whole nother another conversation okay and and so put that down as a topic but i will answer the question by saying there are interpretations of several of a number of scriptures that could do that or at least uh, there are a number of scriptures that have been used to support slavery okay all right now you clearly understand the the inference that i just made it's about your interpretation of that of that scripture right and there are one or two scriptures that you can't interpret otherwise except for the fact that those scriptures are not guideposts they're part of the story we were talking about, and they are statements made by somebody in the Bible that somebody was not God. But having characterized those kind of scriptures, I think it'd be wonderful if we started doing some research and trying to identify those scriptures and then discussing them. I'll put it on my to-do list. But yes, I mean, it's interesting because I know that in large portions of the Old Testament, the Jews were enslaved. And see, I remember having conversations. Of course they were. Yeah, that's right. And and most of the most of the scripture comes from the Old Testament, by the way. Right. Right. And I remember listening to conversations when I was a child, because when I was a child, children didn't speak in my culture. You know, they were seen, not heard. One of my problems as a child was uh, my dad said I was too intelligent for my age. 
and I needed to learn how to keep my intelligence to myself sometimes. My dad allowed me to question him, but he had to choke my questions if I was questioning other adults. And I learned very quickly to pick out holes in arguments. You should have become a lawyer. I remember one time my dad, my dad had some friends over and they were playing bridge and they were in between games and they were, I have no idea what they were talking about. And my dad told me to go to the refrigerator and get him a beer. And I went to the refrigerator and my dad didn't drink a lot. It's just, it was, he drank when he played bridge and um, he, he enjoyed his, he, he enjoyed his bridge games. I went to get a beer and I was listening to conversation and they were laughing and it was really funny. And I was, I, I remember being, I was just enjoying. And so I came back and I, as I handed him the beers, one of his, one of the, one of his uh, uh, bridge mates said something and I challenged it. And I said, well, that can't be true because you just said so, so, and so-and-so. And I sounded like I was part of the group. And there was this silence. And then one of the other partners said, well, I think Phil got you there, son. And then my dad said, he's not part of this conversation. And then the guy that I challenged saved me. And he said, no, no, he's right. He's right. I, I need to think about that. You all let me go down the wrong line. you know." And so then it, they started up again. And then I realized I had, I had escaped. I gave my dad my beer and left. But don't think that was the last I heard of it. The next day, my dad pulled me to the side to let me know you know son you're not grown yet and you could have embarrassed my friends and so you need to learn when you're supposed to speak and when you don't kids are supposed to be seen and not heard right that's right forget that that doesn't that isn't the case any longer i don't care no i well. know well you know now we understand when you have somebody who is uh who may be intellectually older than they are Right. You know, that you want to encourage it, but you still want to encourage respect. Right. And his point was, was that I wasn't part of the gang. I wasn't part of the group and they could only take it. So, and that's what, and that's what he explained it to me. He said, he said, he said, look, there was nothing wrong with what you said. It's just that you're not part of the group. And we may have gone in, you know, and if we had engaged you as an equal, then we might've ended up making you feel bad. So, and, and that's what I learned from that. You know, that's why you have to be careful about a position. But then we take that so far to say, yeah, but now if you're black, you don't show, you, you, you don't belong in this group. And there are exceptions to all those rules. And so I wasn't socially developed to know when I should shut my mouth and just listen if they're going to let me in the conversation and how careful I should be if I offer my opinion to show the respect of black men who didn't get a lot of respect in society. That's why respect is, was so important in our culture. Black women had the unsettling responsibility of making sure that their men were appreciated regardless of their vocation. If the only job they could get was garbage man, but they put food on the table, and they love them, then they're going to appreciate them. And they were going to be king in their household. And if they weren't, that's the first descent into loss of family. Those societal influences 
had direct effect on the family structure. You used the word respect, and, and you were talking about it in, in, within the family and within the conversation. But isn't, isn't the lack of respect or the overt effort to disrespect and to push people down, the whole discussion behind white supremacy and the efforts to keep blacks and, and people of color in general from um, developing and becoming all that they can be. It, it's really uh, disrespectful. It's showing people that they're, they're smaller than, than other people. I mean, it's the whole premise of the last 400 years of, of what um, the United States, or excuse me, America has done to, to black people. Yes, I agree. Uh, uh, although what they are purporting goes far beyond lack of respect. No, what, but I, where my, my premise was is that, that, that the importance of respect in the family setting is to help strengthen the fact and, and uh, fortify the fact that, that you have a hard enough time getting respect outside of the family setting. Absolutely. Well, yeah. I, but again, going back to humanism, going back to the fact that every human has the same needs. Right. It doesn't matter. It, that um, green disrespects me or or does not recognize me as a human being. That's not the issue. The issue is how I handle that. The issue is how does it affect me? And you have a greater chance of affecting me if you systematically incorporate practices that support that view and ends up barring me from having access to my dreams. Right. But in the end, you need the confidence of knowing you're a human being. In the end, every one of us needs the security to know that we are okay. We we're okay the way we are. And so if you if you live your life going out in the world every day and the world is telling you otherwise then to fulfill that need, you accentuate the importance of that need where you have control. Now, it might be expressed as arrogance because that's all you, you, you can only control your reaction. Or it might be expressed systematically by the way you raise your children and the way you relate to your wife. And so you develop certain premises, certain practices within your culture and when slaves have the same experiences so that they don't control anything that happens to them during the day but if they can have a semblance of a family at night in their shanty then they're going to establish a system a family system that provides them what they don't get while they're picking cotton because they need it too because they're human beings we're going to fulfill the need one way or the other. And if we don't, we're broken. You would be broken too, but you've never had that kind of threat. And that's the indignity of racism. The indignity of racism is, is that it attacks you at the core of your being. It's not just the practices. It's not just having white and colored bathrooms and 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 um 
and and water fountains. It is the attack on your dignity. It's dehumanization. It's dehumanization. That's that's why I I I know I sound like a broken record every time I bring it up, but that's that's the basis. It's a so it's a social construct that has been successfully employed for centuries. So we got to get your two fifths back. So you're a whole person. I got mine, but you're right. You don't have to get it back. You have to recognize it. Right. It, it, it never went anywhere. Right. We got to recognize the two fifths. You got to recognize it. Thank you for joining us for another Courageous Conversation. Be sure to follow us and check back next week for more.